Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. And please would you turn with me, if you've got your Bible, to Isaiah uh, chapter 57. Just over these October uh, few weeks, we're just going to take a little break from uh, the fruit of the Spirit. David will pick up the fruit again um, in November. Uh, But this week, and then we've got a visiting speaker next week, but then the 29th, this week and then on the 29th, we're just going to have two sermons Uh, looking at a wonderful verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 57, verse 15. The title of these two sermons is Where God Dwells. As we're going to see today, that's a straightforward statement, but where God dwells. And today we're going to be thinking about high and holy. And then in two weeks' time, we'll think about with the contrite and lowly. So we're just going to be focusing in on verse 15, but I'm going to read a little bit around it. We're going to read verses 14 to 21 of Isaiah 57. Let's listen to God's words to us. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry For the Spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. And I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Amen. Now, I know some of you in ordinary life seem to be able to hold a whole diary in your head, and my head just can't do that, so I kind of have to plan everything, and I put it in my phone, holidays are planned, uh, what, what work I'm going to do next week is planned, when I'm going to uh, see someone, it's all there, uh, planned, and, um, but also we have to say, kind of hopeful, hopeful that those things are actually going to happen, because when it comes down to it, you know, so much could get in the way of them happening, you know, I could get ill, Uh, My car could break down, the weather goes crazy, and we have a global pandemic. We just don't know. Now, I'm not not being Eeyore, um, you know, but we just just don't know uh, what's going to happen. The future to us 
You know, it's yet to happen. It feels like a blank slate. Now, a really important question for us is this. Is God like that? You know, when he makes promises, when he says he's going to do something, in a sense, when he puts a date in the diary, are they just vague hopes for him? You know, like at the end of Isaiah 57, we've just read, verse 18, God says, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. Is that definite? Or is it just an intention without kind of any meat behind it? Can he actually do what he promises? Or to put it another way, can we trust him? This matters, doesn't it? So deeply. Life, it can have so much uncertainty in it. So many people let us down. Things don't happen as we hoped. Failures, disappointments. Is God going to be another of them? Or can we trust him? Can we really put our hope in him? You know, when he says he's with the contrite and the lowly in verse 15, is that what we want? Is he the person we actually want by our side? Well, here in Isaiah 57, 15, we get a view on God that actually just kind of blows our categories out of the water. Here we're going to see God is the exact foundation we need. And it's because God is not like us. Verse 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up. God is high and lifted up. It's the way of saying he's great, exalted, glorious, As the theologians put it, he's transcendent, far more wonderful than we could really comprehend. His name is holy, he says. Now, that word holy, as we thought about with the burning bush last week, it can refer to his his moral kind of purity, but it's also about being separate, other to everything else. He's not like us. And here in this verse, Isaiah shows us how. And as we're going to see, it is a bit mind-bending, But it also, I pray and hope, lifts our hearts. It raises our affections because this is our God we're going to see. The God who we know. Father, Son, and Spirit. The God of love. And it's also the God we can deeply trust. So firstly, firstly we can trust him because time cannot contain him. God is all now, okay? Maybe like, what time cannot contain him? He is all now. Verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. God inhabits eternity. And it's one of those phrases that we go, yeah, sure, yeah, he inhabits eternity. And then we just start to think about it. You're like, what? What does that mean? Because to, to dwell in eternity means time for him is not like time for us. Just think how the, uh, how the Bible puts it elsewhere. In Psalm 90 it says, From everlasting to everlasting you are God. Somehow through every moment of time God is. Not was God or will be God, but is God, the same God. Well, think about those famous words that start our Bible. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So if God creates at the beginning, 
it means somehow before creation there wasn't time. Because time begins when God creates. Time and space, they, they go together. Our physicists can tell us that too. Stephen Hawking once wrote that the, the concept of time has no meaning before the beginning of the universe. But if, if that's true, it means for God to inhabit eternity, it means he's not contained by time. He's not in time like we are because he creates it. You know, we can't actually say he exists before time because the word before makes no sense at that point, does it, if you think about it? So he's above time, he's outside of it, and yet time has its existence in him. And we have no, we have no idea what this is like because we cannot understand anything without a concept of time. It just blows our minds, doesn't it? For us, our whole existence is experience within time. We grow, we change, we get stronger, we get weaker over time. We experience life moment by moment. We have surprises, we have regrets, we have hopes and dreams. We look back and we look forward, but not God. He's above time. He inhabits eternity. He's high and lifted up. So somehow, all of time is present to him, like all of creation is. He's not experiencing time as a sequence of events like we are. All of it, in a sense, is in front of him at once. Although to say at once makes no sense because it's a time word, isn't it? There is no at once for him. Perhaps we... We see time perhaps as a line stretching ahead. Perhaps it's helpful to think God is more kind of like seeing time as a circle and he's in the center. It's all there for him. Now, because that's the case, and this is where it gets amazing, since all of time is present to God, then this has two massive implications for our trust of him. Okay, Because first, it means when God promises something, it's not a hopeful promise. For God, it's as good as happened as the thing in the past or the present right now. Because the beginning to end is before God. So we can't be surprised. You know, we get surprised all the time, don't we? Things get in the way of what we're trying to do. We're trying to do the dishes and your, your child needs some help or you're finishing your project at work and the, the, the printer blows up or something. You know, things get in the way. But not for God. Nothing surprises him. Nothing's going to get in the way. Nothing will hinder what he said will happen because that future event is known to him. It's known to him as well as all the twists and turns on the way. Known just like the present is known. Known like the past is known. This no vague hope for God. His promises are utterly sure. Now Nick Tucker in his book, it's called 12 Things God Can't Do. I thoroughly recommend it. We've got a few on the bookstore. But he has a helpful analogy which helps a little way to understand this. Let me read it to you. He says, if you walk hand in hand with the God who already knows the future and he makes promises about it, then at the end of the day, you can lay down your head in peace. Imagine going to the cinema with a friend. Partway through, the heroine of the film looks, like, uh, looks certain to die. And your insides are in knots and your friend leans over and says, don't worry, she makes it in the end. 
If they haven't already seen the film, such an assurance is meaningless. But if they have already seen the film, then you are more likely to find their words comforting or annoying if you hate spoilers. When God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, this is key, that's not a prediction. He has seen the film. He knows the end of the story. It it isn't merely that he's committed to you in the present and looking forward can't see how that might change. He knows that it won't. He knows the whole story of your life and the whole story of the world and never will I leave you is a statement of fact. Now, incredible. Time cannot contain God. And he promises, you know, the new creation, so the new creation is known to God. So we trust his promises. We trust him that he's going to get us there. And this is also of deep comfort when we sin. If you're anything like me, you'll have had that moment when you've screwed it up again. And you just wonder if God's going to have just had enough this time. He's like, well, that was your last chance. I hoped, I hoped you'd get it right this time, but no more. No. When God chose you before time began, when he sent his son to die, when he gave his spirit to you, he did it knowing all that you would do. Every sin, every mistake and failure, and yet he still did it all. It's an unchanging love because it's not contained by time. You can't surprise him. He'll never say, oh, well, if if I'd only had known you'd be like that, I wouldn't have called you. No, if you belong to Christ, if you're resting in your salvation by faith, then there is nothing to fear. You can know, as Paul said, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. That doesn't mean, therefore, we just continue to sin. No, we we love to please our Heavenly Father. But it does mean we can keep coming back to Him, knowing we're secure, Whatever's gone wrong, knowing God sent his son fully, fully aware of my sin. And secondly, if God is outside of time, then that means every moment of time, all of God is present fully to you and me. Okay, if there's no past God and no future God, just God, then that means the God I speak to and interact with today It's the same, fully alive God as the God I spoke to yesterday. And it's the same, he's the same God as I'm going to speak to tomorrow. Because he doesn't change over time. He is fully inexhaustible life at full volume all the time. God, he's all now, whenever now may be. He's not going to become less over time. Even if he's all powerful now, he's never going to become less powerful. Tomorrow's God is fully God. And perhaps you worry God will give up, give up being God or become like a, a moody person like we thought about earlier, happy one day and vindictive and horrible the next. But no, no, God is all now in his true love and, and goodness and holiness. That's wonderful truth. Time cannot contain him. Now, all this doesn't mean we don't experience God differently over time. We change, don't we? We change over time, and 
He also might encourage and challenge us with different aspects of his character at different moments of life. He still interacts with us in time. Today, I might glimpse his sovereign love, tomorrow his holiness. But the God we are worshiping today, the God who's revealing himself today, is always fully the same God. God is all now, so as he promises his presence with us, we can have such a joy that it's always the same God we have with us, each step of the way, whether we're happy or whether we're finding today extremely tough. God is the same. We can trust him. We can trust him because time cannot contain him. He's all now. Now, your brain might be hurting a little bit. That's okay. We're thinking about God himself. But secondly, we can also trust him because space cannot contain him. Space cannot contain him. God is all here. Listen to the first thing God says in verse 15. I dwell in the high and holy place. Now, at first, this sounds like God is giving us a location. There's this place somewhere else that I live in. I have an address, he's saying. And in one sense, that's true, isn't it? We know God reveals himself in different places in heaven, amongst the angels in a glorious way. But that's not what the exact focus is here. He's not saying in this verse, I've got two postal addresses, heaven and people's hearts. He's actually saying something far bigger than that. Because the text literally and quite awkwardly says this. It says, I dwell at a height, and that's a holy one. At a height. It's not a set place with a postcode. It's, it's reaffirming that God is the one who's high and lifted up. And so he's showing us something greater, something different here beyond what we know. He's saying, I'm above everything. I'm exalted and different. I'm above time, but also I'm above space and place itself. Space, is, it's created. God is not. They're of different sort. Think of how Solomon put it when he was commissioning the temple. He said, but who is able to build him a house since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him. And as we hear that, we want to say, okay, I think I get it. He's too big for heaven. He's too big for earth. And from our perspective, that seems true. But from God's, that's not the whole picture. It's not as if God just needs somewhere bigger to live. He's not just a bigger version of us. No, he lives at a height. He's above and beyond even the idea of a location. Heaven cannot contain him, not because it's too small, because, but instead because space itself cannot contain him. Physical space just isn't a barrier when it comes to God. You know, we know we're restrained physically. Okay? We have a body that puts us in one place and not another. You are sitting here today. You know, even with technology, we know we're not actually with the other person we're FaceTiming with. In political powers are constrained by space, aren't they? We're seeing this so clearly and horrifically in the last few days uh, with Israel and Palestine. They cannot escape each other's presence, and they, they cannot just take over another space without soldiers. They're limited, and so are we. We're creatures, and actually we can only really think of things in spatial ways, but not God. God is not limited by space. He, he created it. It exists because he made it. And so the church have used this word, omnipresence. That God is fully everywhere. Or perhaps putting it like this, God is all here, wherever 
here may be, because he's not actually somewhere. He's not like light or air. He's not spread out thinly, kind of a bit there and a bit there, because he's not limited by place. He's not in it like we are. He's not in it at all. Perhaps it's better to say we are in him. Okay, my brain is starting to hurt. Perhaps yours is a little bit too, but let's not get too lost. What we need to see is this. The remarkable truth that space cannot contain God means he's all here. All of him is present to me and present to you. Just like God is all now, he's all here. There isn't some change across space. It's not as if we get more of God in Scotland than they do in Australia. Okay, or somehow God, he's going to get thinner as we kind of walk out of church. No, God is all here, wherever here may be, because he's not contained by space. And I think we know this deep down. You know, as we look at the stars in the sky, we know God is upholding them. You know, billions of light years away, he's, he's upholding them. We see the fingerprints of his beauty through them. Or at the other end of the spectrum, we also know it's true in our hearts and our consciences. We know God is near, he's close. We know we've never managed to escape him. He's always there. Now, we don't always live like this truth, do we? Experiencing, enjoying the knowledge of God's presence. But when we do stop for a moment, we know it's true. God, he's all here. Now, like with time, that doesn't mean he doesn't reveal himself differently in different places. He still interacts with space, doesn't he? Like we saw with the burning bush. Right there, it was a particular revelation of God or the fact that he's revealing his glory in heaven right now or did in the temple in the Old Testament or with God's people as they gather. There are different revelations and experiences of God. I'm sure many of us can recognize that in our own lives as some days, some places God's felt closer and others distant. But we're going to think about that in two weeks. What does it really mean for him to be with the contrite and lowly? But that difference is not because God is physically changing place to place. God is all here. We are in him. And what that means is there is nothing going on in our world outside of his control. God, our God, is not a local God. We think about this in house groups this past week. Pharaoh in the Exodus thought God was a local God. A God alongside all his other gods in his kind of pantheon of gods. That was just the Israelite God. But no, God is the creator God, the God of all. The God, he's not limited by country, by place. Our society often wants us to believe that he's the local God. It's, It's lovely that you've got your God kind of over there in your church with your friends, but that's not for me. We see it in the language of the I don't know, prominent atheists like Richard Dawkins. Often he compares God to, to fairies and pixies at the end of your garden that you can't see, or to Greek and Norse gods that people aren't believing in. But in so doing, he's making a complete category error. Because God is not like them. He's not bound to a nationality or bound uh, to your garden or to the, the, uh, the rules of this world. Everywhere is his world. And so everything is under his rule. No one can place himself outside of God. He's, he's sovereign Lord, whether we like it or not. 
And this truth is also important because sometimes as we look at the world, we might think there are spots that are hopeless. We might perhaps use the phrase, God forsaken, and mean it. Perhaps there's a bit of Aberdeen that you look at and feel that, or a country where evil is rampant. Perhaps as you look at the the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and wonder, where is God in it all? Is he even there at all? But God is all here, even there. And this gives us hope, because we can trust him wherever we are. Christ, he calls his people to be witnesses to where? To the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. And that doesn't miss out places, does it? God has promised that every tribe, nation, and tongue will be praising him on that final day. And that's not an idle promise because he knows he's at work in all places. If you move tomorrow to Egypt or Brazil or even Dundee, God is there. God is there in all his power and might. Power to save eager to glorify his name and exalt his son. We can trust him, not just yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but everywhere we go. Space cannot contain him. God is all here. Now to finish, as we, as we look at all that's going on in the world, the uncertainty, the difficulty, hearing these wonderful truths about God, hearing that he's not like us. I wonder if it can send us into directions. Because for our society, and maybe for you here this morning, there can be a real pushback. There's a proper defensive, kind of get this message out of here kind of response. Because if, if God is like this, if he's completely other to us, if he's over and above us, high and exalted, as he says, king over all in power and majesty with no boundaries of space or time, then suddenly our lives, who we are, they're not as central as we thought they were. If God is like this, then actually we're just creatures, aren't we? We're beholden to him. Everything I have is from him. I have no inalienable rights apart from what he says. I have no future apart from the one he gives. In fact, as Jesus says in Luke's gospel, he said this, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Why? Because God is Lord. But sin, sin doesn't work like that, does it? Actually, what we want to be able to do is what we want, to be at the center of my world. You've probably known that even this morning. Someone cut across you while driving uh, driving here. You were annoyed that your kingdom was hindered. Or perhaps your child woke you up this morning. That, that impatience was your world being impeded on. And so rather than having the true, unhindered, uncontainable God, what we do is we create idols. We create our own gods. Gods that allow us to do what we want. Now, throughout history, people have created these other gods with different names like Baal, Vishnu, Zeus, all are gods uh, that because they're man-made, they just let you do what you always wanted to do anyway. But in today's world, we've decided to be a bit less subtle about it, and we just make it obvious that the God is me, myself, the God of self. And that's where our trust lies, doesn't it, in our society, inside us at our, at our feet, 
There's a moment from the, and it was 10 years ago, but the London Olympic closing ceremony that's emblazoned on my mind. George Michael stood in the middle and said, we are the center of the universe. But the problem is, as, as time wears on, we realize our God of self cannot save. It cannot do what it promised. It can't give us the happiness we long for. It's not stable. There's no security. And it certainly can't deal with the sin inside of me and then death itself. And that's because it's made by us. It's, it's of this creation. It's limited, contained. Just look in verse 13 of what God says of idols. He says, when you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. But God, the Lord, the one who is high and lifted up, he is not like us. He inhabits eternity. His name is holy. He dwells in the high and holy place. And so as life takes its unforeseen twists and turns, as a family member gets ill, as you're made redundant, as kids are nasty to you at school, you're lonely at uni, may we head in a very different direction. May we know that there is a different God. Our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who makes promises and keeps them, every single one of them, nothing dropped, nothing forgotten about, nothing left behind, utterly dependable, utterly trustworthy. Why? Because he's not like us. He's not contained by time. He's not contained by space. No, he's all here, all now. And so we can have peace. We can rest our weary hearts on him, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.